I believe that that community piece is key. And if you can form bonded teams of people that are bought into the practice and they're part of that practice, it's super important. Welcome to Be More, a podcast by Pecan. This is where everyone at an organization can hear different and meaningful perspectives on how we can all thrive in this ever-changing and constantly evolving world of work. I'm your host, Patrick Cornoyer. Dualta Doherty has built a career in recruiting. Not only is he incredibly passionate about the art of recruitment, he also has extensive experience from his around-the-world life, including starting his own business while living in Guatemala. A few years ago, Dualta started a podcast called The Recruiter Startup Podcast, which has inspired the recruitment community with a differentiated recruitment model focused on the power of media. Today, we discuss his perspectives on recruiting and what the future could look like with the right focus on attracting and retaining talent. Dualta, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. Thank you, Patrick. Great to be here. I was just saying, I I always love when we have another podcaster on. You have a very successful podcast focused on recruitment. And I was watching a video earlier that you had a extremely successful year of listeners. You had 155,000 listeners? Yeah, I think we're close to 200,000. That is amazing. We're going to get to all of the ways how people can find out more about you. But let's start with the audience understanding a bit more about you from your perspective. So I always like to start with a bit of your journey and your passion. You've been working with recruitment for many years, had a successful career. So tell us about your journey. I suppose I was a bit of a late bloomer with it. I'm from regional Ireland. And when I got to my 20s, I did you know one of those degrees that didn't really get you anywhere, like a business degree. And then I did like a postgrad in marketing. And I kind of was like a lot of people do postgraduate, wondering what they're going to do. And eventually I got to a point where I moved to Australia and I met my wife and we both ended up working in recruitment. I was about 27 at this stage, which is pretty late for our industry to get in. A lot of people come in 22, 23. I had a ton of jobs, ton of life experience at that stage, picked beans on a farm, like ran nightclubs, like you, you name it. I would have tried different things in different countries. And I got into the, the agency recruitment world and I got into it in a boom town in Perth with the mining boom. And it was it was really interesting because I was doing technology recruitment and it was when all the autonomous vehicles were coming in, like all automation for mining oil and gas, all of that stuff was going in. So for the first time in my life, I was getting to getting paid to have intelligent conversations. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there listening to program managers about how they, they make all this happen. And I just fell in love with it. I just uh I loved every bit of it. And finally, I found something that I was really interested in. I did that, did quite well at it. I had some gaps in my skill set from, I was quite good at the, the sales and the recruitment piece, not so good at the operational, that side. But my wife actually is, is really good at that. And she ended up working in talent acquisition for Chevron and for BHP. And so she went in that other direction and I went on the agency side 
And somewhere along the line, we we met in the middle and you know we decided to set up our first business. We left Perth just as the in 2015, just as the oil crash was happening. And uh, it was a mining crash then, oil was still okay. So we we traveled Southeast Asia. We did resume writing for people. We were trying to figure out where it was next. We were planning on going to Canada. We went back, we got engaged, went to Central America, had this wonderful experience and got some entrepreneurial skills in that time. I read the four-hour work week and it started seeping into me and how to compartmentalize like areas of business, how to, you know, give away stuff that you shouldn't do in terms of low value stuff, like what your time should be spent on, how you can start like working on your business and not get stuck in it. And then my wife, Charlotte, is operationally excellent. So we got to a point where I was selling loads, but she was having to do all the work and she hated me. So we went, we got jobs in Canada, but I lit, lit this fire in her that we couldn't put out. So she went back to talent acquisition, but at this stage, she just couldn't focus on one job and she wanted to get back into it. And the market, the next crash happened. So the oil and gas crash happened. And I was running a team of recruiters in Canada and it was like the tap was just turned off. So we took the last of our savings and we launched our company officially. We did it from Guatemala and we spent about six months there. And then we moved back to Europe. We got into a thing called house sitting. So we were doing our business, traveling around France and my now wife got pregnant. And I was in this quandary of, I have this business, which is recruiting recruiters at the time. We do other things now as well, but at the time it was that. And she does all the work and she's going to be out of this. She's going to go have a baby and my business isn't robust enough. So then we got to the process of, okay, well, we don't have an, we don't have an office or a permanent base. And I know everybody's like, well, we have remote working. Well, we didn't in 2015, 2016, you know, so... I was like, I can do it. So how do we manage somebody who can do it? And we got some lessons learned, went back into the four-hour work. We studied uh, Tim Ferriss's advice on that. We came across this amazing lady called Andrea, who's still with us. She runs like a large part of our operations and our different businesses now. And slow because she was so good, Charlotte was able to give away pieces and enough for us to keep that running. As things progressed, we we built up that business. We added more Andreas, shall we say. And then at every stage, we documented the processes and we learned. And we got into the media side of things a few years later. And I, I would study who's doing what in other industries. And I would try and bring that into our practice. And as I did that for a number of years, when the pandemic hit, I had this lovely business that was making nice money and we had a nice life. We were, the kids were a bit bigger and my wife was back in it. And we were like, okay, I think we might move to America now. We were in Santa Barbara, I had decent projected revenue and it all went. So we had to pivot. We had to look really deep inside ourselves and figure out what we were good at. And we decided that we would build a community because everybody needed help. So we built this community and out of that, we built a mastermind program and then we became non-executive directors to 60 different companies. And now we help founders scale their practices through technology, processes and people and not just provide people to them. So we get to make real meaningful, lasting difference. But from a commercial perspective, 
we get to keep re- recurring revenue in our business so we can now predict what happens so you know so we provide talent acquisition we provide agency recruiters but we're really passionate about getting in and doing the consulting side so all of that such an amazing journey and a very international journey so you've yeah right i can imagine that is i've also lived in multiple countries and it's what you learn from the experience of being in different places is incredibly valuable in so many aspects of life I can imagine, particularly when it comes to recruitment, and I'm sure that that has been a benefit to your the growth of your business. But you've, you know, founded multiple companies. As I said, you have your podcast. You've had a lot of success when it comes to recruitment. And today is a incredibly challenging time for many organizations because we kind of came off this phase of the pandemic, and everybody's talking about people resigning changing roles, more to come. And one of the areas that there's been a lot of talk about is how can we hire the best people to hire those 20%, 30% of talent within our organization? So I was excited to have you come on to give us your insights around what, what are the challenges that organizations have today? And maybe what are some things that organizations are doing wrong when they are looking at recruiting recruiters, specifically recruiting that talent acquisition talent? I think, look, the answer lies more in what are they doing wrong with the recruitment in general? So the world is, has changed since, pa- Patrick, you're not far off my age, are you? What, what age are you? I'm 43. You're 43. Ah, you're a bit older. <laughs> so when we were graduating, the employer was in charge, right? Like it was so hard to get a start and it was it was so hard to move up the ranks and the world has changed. Now it's about like, it's about getting good at something and becoming an expert in something. And you're not reliant on a university to tell you, you're not reliant on an employer to tell you. So people are changing and the people are more valuable and the companies who are pipelining their people in general and pipelining who they're after and engaging with those people and doing everything to work out, like, are we telling our story correctly? Is our company good enough? What do we need to change? Are we moving with the times? They're the companies that are doing it well. Like Microsoft, Google, all those companies, they're not, like, let's not even talk about them because like premium brands, a recruiter who works for a premium brand, that's, I don't mind telling you, it's easy. It's a volume-based, administration-heavy, process-driven gig. So the finding of the talent, and the persuading of the talent isn't done because those companies have the right value proposition. So some of it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to how the companies who are now the next generation of companies who want to get to that unicorn status, what separates them? What makes them different? Why should somebody want to come and be part of that journey? Because the next generation of people aren't as money-driven as they were before. Like there's loads of data around that. They're value-driven. So how do we tie in the long their long-term goals into the long-term goals of the employer? Now, if we flip that into what it means for recruitment, there's loads of things. Like there's loads of things. Companies get lots of stuff wrong. They typically they'll be like, they'll hire, they'll let their sister start to be in the recruiter or 
their third cousin or it, like they'll, they'll say like that's the easy job and it's the hardest job there is this is the front person for your organization and to get it right is super hard and then the other mistake then they make is when they do get somebody good they make them be the hr person as well and then they get drowned in administration and then their teams become melted and then the third thing they do is they don't get the right tech and then that becomes a mess so i think like everything starts with getting good advisors now we're good in our lane in our size what we do but i've interviewed loads of like some of the top hr tech advisors recently and you know there, there's some amazing people out there who can go in audit your business get a body of work together work out exactly where you're at where you want to get to what's needed to happen, what your story is, how you get your employer branding right, how you do all of that. Once you get all of that, then you get in the person to steer it from the recruiter perspective. But if you just get the person in and they don't have all of that experience or that infrastructure or the founder doesn't have the vision to do that, that person just gets blamed and then the job doesn't get done. So it's like anything. You have to, you have to give the person the tools in order to be successful. And you have to really value it. And one of the, my observations was during the pandemic, the first people to get cut were the recruiters. Like, did companies think there wasn't going to be a tomorrow? Like companies with massive cash reserves, not even like cutting everybody. And then they have to, like, did they not think that they'd need to tell this story in six months time? Then in six months time, they're like, no, no, we, we value our people. Except for all the recruiters we sacked six months ago, didn't really value them didn't believe that we'd still be around. So short-sightedness is one of the biggest difficulties. I was just having a conversation yesterday and we were talking a bit about vulnerability and leadership and being able to stand up and raise our hands and say, you know what, I made a mistake or I need help. And that's a place that is a bit uncomfortable for a lot of organizations and also for leaders to say, I need help. This is an unknown future for me. This is an unknown future for the organization. And there is a lot of work that we need to do to be highly competitive in the marketplace. I mean, there's so many organizations out there that are saying that. And the conversation that I was having yesterday was around convincing a colleague of mine at a, another organization that I worked with a while ago is saying, you know, I'm really trying to convince uh, my CEO that we need to bring in help to, for us to, to we need to relook at the entire way that we approach recruitment because the expectations are different. As you said, money, the paycheck is not what is driving decisions, how people fit within an organization, what their growth potential is, how they personally connect with the values of the organization, the publicly presented values of the organization. How do those values relate to my personal values? All of that is becoming so much more relevant in the decision process. And I think you bring up a good point of saying, what I hear you saying is, it's okay to say that you need help and to bring somebody in to help you with building what that structure looks like. Yeah. The thing is, like, what you'll find is there'll be a load of people who want to give you the strategy. But it's the actual doers, the people who can get under the hood and knit it all together for you. Like, that's the person you really, really want. 
And there are great people out there. There, like I, I've interviewed so many now. I don't, I don't want to throw out any names, but I was super impressed. And you know, I, I did research on on the top people, and they all had their own ideas of of what went wrong. A lot of it is people get sold stuff. They get sold technology. This is going to be your silver bullet, and nobody uses the tech, or it's used wrongly, and then it's just a mess. And if you can get the right person to help create a plan, mentor the people from an operational standpoint and make that happen, then you're well on your way because you want your recruiter to be the tip of the spear. Mm. You've had a very successful career and life working remotely for many years. You, as you said, you started your business in Central America. You were moving around for many parts of your uh, building your business. We all know that a big conversation today and for the foreseeable future is how we include flexible working, how we include looking at talent far outside the confines of the geographical location of our office. How are you seeing organizations successfully integrate and really sell? Because I think this is a big part of being successful with a remote working policy or a flexible working policy, how they position that in the most effective way. What do you think about the most effective ways of presenting your, the new aspects, potentially new aspects of the employee value proposition? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. So I suppose when we talk about geography, I think we have to first recognize that the world doesn't start in New York and end in California. People can do these jobs in other countries as well. So like if we break that down for recruitment, I like to think that there's a real engine room in recruitment followed by the front of house as well. So like, I mean, from an outsourcing or as I like to call it, insourcing, the Philippines, Eastern Europe, unbelievable talent there, hardworking people lots of skills, lots of companies have gone over there and set up entities and there's trained people. Your cost, they're, they're people who want work. The cost of talent is so much less. The, the risk of them getting poached is significantly lower. And, you know, I found that they're more appreciative. Now, when I talk about insourcing and outsourcing, I think the difference is if you can bring somebody from a different country into your organization, they're going to be more aligned to your goals as opposed to somebody who works for a service provider in a different country. They're not going to be tied into your long-term vision. So I don't think that works as well as, as, as you investing in your own ecosystem. So you have control. So they know that this is our culture. This is our way of doing things. This is like, we are this and I'm part of this and I feel good for that. And like, it's, again, as we said, it's not a USA thing. People aren't as money driven. I was listening to the Tropical MBA last night and it's one of my favorite podcasts. They've done remote working since the beginning. They've sold really successful businesses and they were talking about how much money you need to make for it to change your life. They said, like, the first bracket is like, as soon as you get to 80000 or $100,000 a year, your life's not going to be that different if you're making 170. And like, you'll have a bit more disposable income, don't get me wrong, but what you do on a daily basis won't change really. 
So your values are going to be key. And if you take that up to the next step, if you're making 350 a year, okay, your kids are in private school, you go on an extra holiday, you've got a few extra expenses, but again, values are going to come into it. So it's just tying, tying what really matters to people. So I believe that that community piece is key. And if you can form bonded teams of people that are bought into the practice and they're part of that practice, it's super important. Now, I've done loads of interviews with uh, some platform owners that provide such a service and you know where they can contribute more in terms of their ideas, where they try and figure out their happiness levels, their commitment levels. And it's not just about monitoring their, their outputs, but rather encouraging their inputs into making the whole thing better to get people bought it. So teamwork's key. You also have a perspective and hopefully some suggestions on how to best utilize media when it comes to recruitment. This is a new area for many organizations where they need to tell their story more effectively. There's a lot of stories being told because everybody is recruiting, particularly we look at engineering talent, product talent, all of these very competitive roles and and teams. And organizations are really stepping up their their focus and their commitment, quite frankly, on how to tell their story more effectively. How do you help or how do you suggest for organizations to effectively use media or to tell their story a bit more relevantly in the marketplace? Yeah. My favorite way to find out about a company is to listen to the founder on a podcast. So that that's kind of the first one. Like I would listen to This Week in Startups by Jason Calacanis and Whenever he gets on like a founder, I'm paying attention because he's bringing them into deep water and he's getting past their fluff and he's getting past everything. And sometimes he might have an agenda in the back of his head. Sometimes he might, but I find the interview process fascinating. The founder needs to lead from the front. Like they need to be able to tell their story, but their story, it has to resonate with people. And for that to happen, they need to have their mission, vision, values. And they have to be, these things have to be real. Like, I think like people can Google mission, vision, values, but if it's not real and it doesn't tie into their story and their why, then, you know, it's not going to resonate with the next person. So that story and their values should resonate with the company that they want to have. And that companies, the, the lens that they're bringing to the marketplace should really exude that. I think that in terms of, other ways of media in terms of telling your story, I suppose like you want to just, you want to document as much as possible, document success stories, document diversity. Video is obviously a great way of doing it. And then the Gary V model that, that seems to be most prevalent right now. I don't know if he invented it, but he's, he's put his name to it. Right. So that's where, you know, you get a pillar piece of content could be a video podcast, you then might put music to that and chop it up. And that becomes eight more pieces of content on different platforms. You might strip the audio and that becomes another piece of content. You might then turn that into the written word and then that goes out there. So all that's super important. But I suppose when you're talking about hiring, when you've created the story and what it means to the people and got them bought in and got them excited and all of that stuff, how do you make sure that goes to the right people? And that's where the founder 
and the hiring manager, they need to be embedded in the communities that they're trying to target. And, you know, it could be Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or WhatsApp groups or private members groups or whatever it is, but, or it might be sponsoring podcasts, or it might be, it might be doing all, all of these things, but they need to work out how they're getting that story to the right people. And then they need to be able to funnel value to those people. And then they need to track their data. <laughs> then they need to target them and then they need to engage them. And then hopefully when the right job comes, they've all, the people are aware of them. They've heard them. They're excited about it. And when they're, it's a candidate short market, everybody's like doing loads of interviews for one job. So this company has the advantage because the media is out there. They've told their story. They've already believed it. Their vision, their values are aligned to, the, to what they are. They hear them on the podcast that they listen to. They see them on the Facebook when they're like looking at their news feed. So I think it's a holistic approach from top down. And, you know, we're now media companies that do recruitment. And I think that's a quote from a famous recruiter called Joe Mullings, who took this to the next stage. He runs a, a famous search practice in the US. And if you look up his stuff, he he would have, uh, I flew over and I interviewed him actually. He's, he's fascinating. He has a whole sportscaster type news setup. Half a spend of his recruitment firm or even more of it is on media. And he has, he gets like, they follow him to all the conferences. He's the guy who's speaking at the conference as the guest speaker. And, you know, all that media is caught, is got, it's chopped up, it's put out there. The data's tracked, it's retargeted, and people are engaged. They know what they're doing. No like and trust. So he'd, he'd be the best in our agency world at how that's done. That's a very good suggestion and point for the audience listening that is not thinking about media and how to turn the volume up on not a specific role, but literally your organization and why somebody would would want to be a part of your company moving forward. I think many companies are focused on, I need to hire this specific role within this amount of time for this hiring manager. And gone are the days of well, I'm going to post a job on my ATS system and let it, you know, post to the different job boards and we'll just wait for people to apply. Like it's Yeah, you need to pipeline. So, you know, if you're looking at your org structure and you're talking to your investors, they're going to say like how are you going with that and you're going to go, "Oh, I've hired a recruiter. That's not good enough." Like we need to pipeline who are the best product managers from this category to this category within this niche. Who are they? Let's do an executive search profile on the top 200 of them. Okay, let's work out how much money they're on. Let's work out how we can engage with them. Let's find out how, what their happiness levels are, all the rest. Like, can they bring a team with them? Like, what would that what would that look like? What does it look like in this category? And um, there's loads of tools out there that you can use to do a lot of this stuff now. But it, you have to start the pooling and the engagement now. Because it's kind of like when I speak to a candidate and then they say, I want to move jobs because I want $20,000 more. That kind of stops the conversation for me because they're not after the value. They're not after the long, like I'll try and tie them into their long-term, like why do you need the money? What's the story? And then if you can get into their values and their long-term goals and it aligns to the companies, then fine. But it, it all starts with values. Values, long-term things, 
and what it means to the people we could potentially do. By the time the job comes, we want to have, we want to be wooing them for a bit, right? Dualto, this is one season of the podcast, of our Be More podcast, where we're focused on talent, acquiring new talent, retaining the talent that you have, but you have an entire podcast specifically around recruitment. So first off, how can people hear more from you and more about all of the interviews of these amazing recruitment leaders that you've talked to? What is the easiest way for people to find you and your your podcast? So I've got a podcast called The Recruiter Startup Podcast. It's on all the major channels. I also set up a, a podcast recently called Tech for Good that has a lot of the talent acquisition leaders and thought leaders. I've done one season of that. So either of those, depending on which your your interest levels are, and if look if you're if you're looking for more advice on how hiring talent acquisition people, you can find me. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have the strangest name on LinkedIn, so D U A L T A. It'll come up, and I'm always up for chatting and being part of the community. You know, perfect, Dualta. Thank you for spending some time with me today, and for giving your perspective and some really tangible ideas and thoughts to those listening that maybe see a bit of a mountain in front of them, but hopefully are feeling a bit that they're able to tackle it. And particularly around that that media side, focus on community and building that relationship and focusing on values, I think is all very sound advice. So Dualta, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Patrick. Take care. And that was Be More, a podcast by Pecan. Be sure to search for Be More in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. On behalf of the team here at Pecan, thanks for listening. <laughs>